Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. An unorthodox entry into the world of motorsport, beating 90,000 others internationally on a PS3, was the gateway to a career as a racing driver for today's guest. Now based in Tokyo, our British gamer-turned-racer has spent the last five seasons competing in the Japanese Super GT. In his short career, he has already amassed experience in a number of categories, including both sports cars and single-seaters, and was even signed to the Red Bull Driver Development Programme in 2014. To hear how, if given the chance, he would inspire a new generation of drivers and workforce into the sport, Keep listening for our chat with Jan Mardenborough. So tell us what it's been like going back to your roots over lockdown when the season was on hold. Um, in terms of online gaming, you've, you've got a pretty good setup going on. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, so during the whole craziness a few months ago, you know, Japan, I'm currently in Tokyo, Japan, and we weren't completely locked down, but pretty much there was nobody outside. And everybody in Europe and across the world, racing driver-wise, was on their, on their own simulators. So um, every racing driver you could imagine was uh, sim racing just for fun and also just to keep sharp because our seasons were delayed. And um, I got the bug as well, so got a simulator and uh, was joining in that world. And it was kind of weird because... I've come from this world before. I started on simulators, which helped me become a driver through sims. So I had to go back just to play the sim. I mean, I'll be spending days, like six hours, eight hours a day, just flat out. Like you can see the sun rise and then you see a set. <laughs> it was cool. It was all right. It was, it was uh, interesting. Kind of over it now. It was like a real bubble thing. Yeah. Everybody was into it. And now... <laughs> we're off we've got like this whatsapp group like, no, everyone's selling their stuff on this whatsapp oh wow full <laughs> <laughs> of that now next please <laughs> okay we'll probably pick it up in november when everybody's season's over but uh now it's uh well, real motorsports happening so nobody's got time for it anymore yeah okay well take us back to the beginning then um did you have an interest in motorsport as a kid or was it purely just the interest in gaming that, that attracted you to that world um, it was kind of both, really. I think I'd watched motorsport on TV before I started playing racing games. So I started racing games when I was probably eight or so. And uh, I was watching motorsport on TV probably six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. That casual viewer of, of motorsport, Formula One on a Sunday, that kind of got my attention in other, other categories as well. But as soon as the racing games started, started happening, I was hooked. I'm just a car petrol head, you know, anything that with four wheels interests me with an engine. And uh, once I found out you could do it as a job, as a, I don't know, like a 10 year old, that, that was like, that's what I want to do for a, for a job. Yeah, I was hooked through, you know, started from TV, but then racing games really helped that interest. And was there, um, when you say that as a kid, you, you were hooked and you wanted to make a career out of it, was there a particular role? Was it just a driver that you had in mind or was there anything else behind the scenes that you were interested in? Nah, just driving, 100%. Just driving. I was the, just a pilot that 
you know, the cool cars that you'd see on in real life or on TV, just to be the person behind the wheel of that was uh, was my main interest. And could you explain then how you actually managed to transition from gaming into the real thing? Because it's quite a impressive story. So dropped out of uni 2010, took a gap year, what wasn't planned. And then 2011, January time, there was a new competition called GT Academy, which was on the PlayStation 3 with uh, a game called Gran Turismo. And uh, basically this, the prize is a professional contract for a few races. And I've heard of this competition previously. There's been two other winners before me um, in 2008 and 2010. Yeah. And they'd gone on to do really well in professional, you know, real life professional motorsport. And uh, I just entered it on a whim. I had nothing else to do with my time. I was didn't plan my gap year. So I was just at home January, February, like thinking, oh, what am I going to do? Entered this. Didn't plan on winning. I didn't enter it just to win. It was like, okay. I'm going to enter it just to see how I could stack up against everybody else across Europe. And um, got through various stages of the competition, progressed to the finals at Silverstone, which is like the home of, it's like Mecca for motorsport, and, and won. Um, won the whole competition. Out of, at the time, it was 90,000 people. So that kind of kick-started the whole process. And so the prize was this one race in Dubai, 2012, in January. Yeah. And, uh, to be able to do this race, you have to have a certain grade racing license. Like your road license, you have racing licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to do this race, to race internationally, you need an international license, which means you have to do a lot of racing to get that license to show that mm-hmm. you're valid to use this. Okay, got the license, did that race, and that was meant to be it. That was meant to be your prize, Nissan and Sony's prize. That was it. But then. Nissan said, okay, you did really well leading up to the race. You did well in the race. Okay, we give you a contract for 2012 in a a championship for British GT. And then it's just rolled on from there. I've been racing for Nissan since 2012. That's pretty amazing. Your life literally just transformed from gaming. Did you expect to do as well as you did and to be as successful in the real life racing? Or was it a bit of a surprise even for yourself? Uh, I don't know. I just found out that it was all I really wanted to do growing up. So when I won the competition, it was like, I just want to be you know, the best I can be. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how good I could go, how far I could go. I just loved it. I just, you know, I was just, you know, someone giving me the golden ticket and I was just like running with it to see how far I can go. And I'm still doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, the, the first few races I was asking, you know, similar questions everybody else was asking me, like, well, how's this going to be like racing against real people? But to be honest, it was, the transition was really simple. You know, there was a few things that are different from the game to reality. I think being young helps. I was 19 when I won, so there's no part of my brain telling me, oh, yeah, you need to be, you know, kind of careful. But here you're young and just go flat yeah. out. And you know, no fear of anything. And it's still like that now, really. I guess I, I never saw myself as the gamer anyway. When I won, it was like, okay, I want to be treated as a professional. So... Yeah. I was always, I still am, just expect perfection. So, yeah, like a normal, any professional in this sport. So what do your, what do your friends and the family back home think of what you do now for a living, considering how it all started? Yeah, they're, um, you know, my group of friends that I grew up with in school, they're, uh, they've come out for, for a few races abroad and uh, in other parts of the world, and they love it. And, you know, they still treat 
everybody just treats me normally the same way and we still get on we still have banter the same way they still treat me like shit sometimes it's like <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it is and it's they're not into cars or motorsport at all but they still pay attention to what i'm doing yeah my family of course you know of course they they do it as well yeah it's completely random you know, none of no friends or family are kind of were ever interested in this part of sport mm-hmm. ever so I'm not the only one and it's cool because they get to experience a new sport yeah awesome so you say there obviously with your friends and family they're they're not into the motorsport world and they're not on that scene and then also going back to what you said earlier having just dropped out of uni and then you were on a gap year did you ever see your life heading in that direction and sort of second to that what what's next for you what would you like to achieve in your career uh, no, I never envisioned this at all. I was thinking about this last week, like always kind of do when you have like a, a bad weekend and then you think, okay, I could have been doing this, could have gone a, a very different way if um, things didn't happen. So I'd probably be designing furniture for some <laughs> shop if this didn't pan out well. And the future, I'd still want to be racing in Japan, living in Japan. Mm-hmm races in super gt which is the championship i do now i think it's the best championship outside of formula one and um yeah i'd want to be racing as a professional so racing with a manufacturer like nissan until i'm in my mid 40s i guess so another 16 years (laughs) so how is it actually living over in japan and what is it about super gt that you love so much what what aspects do you really really enjoy i love japan um, ever since I watched Tokyo Drift, I wanted to visit Japan. And I love it. It's, you can't get bored here. I still walk around, you know, for miles, just discovering new places, new places to eat. And yeah, it, you can't get bored here. And with Super GT, the championship is run really well. It hasn't changed in years. So like on the TV, the, the, the graphics they use for like uh, the driver names and the they bring up our face in the car it hasn't changed in years they don't change anything but it just works it's a healthy championship you know everybody is you know making profits the sponsors work the teams it just works it seems to do really well uh, why i like it it's you know sustainable but also there's a tire war so in motorsport normally even in formula one every car uses the same brand of tire whereas in super there's four different types of tire manufacturing for the drivers it's great because uh, this constant we call it a tire war so the manufacturers want to be the best they have this pride they want to be you know in the winning car so they're constantly developing these tires so it's a really nice feeling to drive something which is the pinnacle of what a company can design and it's the same um, same with the engines as well within Nissan and all the other manufacturers that's the best they can produce right now which is cool. You don't get that in many forms of um, motorsport. When you transitioned from online gaming to real life racing, did you have any difficulties in the transition or did you find it quite a smooth move over? No, it was smooth. It was, um, you know, there was a few things that was took time to train. So like racing specific, where you look, motorsport, you know, if you're going for a corner, you uh, sometimes the next corner's, going in a different direction but you need to be looking in that direction and that took time to retrain your brain to get used to that but other than other than that it, it was fairly seamless the car is always vibrating giving you all these kinds of sensations which uh, i guess takes a couple of weeks to get really understand what 
what the car's selling you, but all the other stuff, yeah, it was kind of not easy. That's the wrong word, but there wasn't like a big, a big problem in overcoming something. Talk, talk to me about all of the different categories and championships you've raced in because there is a fair few and from what we've counted up it's uh, more than the years you've been racing professionally. Talk to us about that and uh, the sort of the value and experiences you've got from each of those categories that you've been able to take and apply into Super GT. So um, I've been in um, GT cars, so cars with roofs and uh, Formula cars. So with the GT cars I've driven in GT4, GT3. And then with Super GT, GT500, um, Formula Cars, Formula 3, Super Formula, GP3, One Race in GP2. It sounds like jargon, but yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of categories. Yeah, it's been it's been really good. I I would say that after winning GT Academy and knowing Nissan's history, they're only involved in GT cars, so cars with roofs that look like your production car, but it's kind of on steroids and it's not legal on the road. Um, so I assumed, you know, that would be kind of my natural progression. I wouldn't step into anything like a single-seater because I didn't think Formula One was the goal, and that's, if you do single-seaters, Formula One is kind of your goal. That's what I thought. Yeah. That was maybe wrong. So in 20, 2012, I did GT3. And then 2013, I got a call from Nissan and uh, my manager, Darren, uh, Darren, that we were going to put you in a single, put me in a single seater, Formula 3 for 2013. And um, yeah, long story short, that was um, a huge shock and completely different way of driving a, a racing car. And that took quite a while to really kind of understand the car and really nail how to drive it properly. But that accelerated my learning progression much steeper than staying in a car with a roof which is why every junior driver that's successful in anything in motorsport has always done a category called formula three so clearly you've enjoyed huge success with with your talent throughout all of those various categories and series that you've raced in but going back again to gaming would you say that that's a a viable entry to real life racing for the average person yeah because i was that average person and it's possible to do it. You've just got to, well, the opportunities got to come about and there are opportunities out there currently. One of them is a competition called World's Fastest Gamer, which has been running for two years now. And it's the same creator of GT Academy, Darren Cox, who created GT Academy on, with Nissan and Sony. Now they've created their own separate competition and there is no barrier of entry. There's like literally you can, qualified for this competition on a mobile game there's various platforms you can qualify to enter the competition and it's a very similar style to gt academy you know there's various phases of the competition but basically it all filters down to 12 people at the end of the competition and you're in a real car with real instructors and the prize is a season's race and so this last year's winner a guy called james baldwin from the uk his prize was this year's British GT in, in a GT3 car. So awesome. the prize is worth a million, a million dollars. And, um, he came from, this guy did some go-karting in the past, but uh, there was other competitors in this competition with him um, that had done nothing, nothing at all. Like me, they were, you know, complete bottom of the step. And so there are opportunities to do it. You just got to, you know, kind of keep your eyes peeled and stuff's going on. There sh- should be another world's fastest gamer 
maybe this year, certainly next year. It's still possible to do. Gaming is, like you've just said, a really good way to open up racing to such a wide range of people who may otherwise face obstacles getting into motorsport, especially when it comes to funding and things like that. You've raced in loads of different categories, as we've just touched on. And hopefully, like you said, online gaming will bring more people in from different backgrounds, etc. But what has your experience been of diversity across all of the categories that you've raced in? Because obviously you have probably more experience than most drivers, given how many different cars and series you've been in. Yeah, it's not um, it's not that diverse, really. And, you know, I noticed this you know, pretty much straight away. You know, it's not many people of colour, there's not many people from, you know, um, India or any black people here, it's uh, mainly white people, apart from Japan, where it's just all Japanese people, obviously. But uh, if you just break down why that is, how motorsport, what is motorsport, how it came to, you know, where it is, people wanted to go racing, so back in, I don't know, like the 1940s, I guess. And uh, if you look at what Britain was in the 1940s or that kind of era, it was predominantly a white country. That's what it was. And motorsport originated from the UK, pretty much. So, you know, and it's kind of, you know, as those people from the 40s, you know, get older, they have sons and daughters. And then the next generation, of course, kind of carries on that, that passion for motorsports. So, I understand, and that's, that's how we get to where we are now. And, you know, you need money to go most, go racing. It's an expensive sport. So, you know, I noticed there isn't a lot of diversity in motorsport, but at the same time, people should understand also why that is. It's not because, okay, you're black. You can't. You, you can't come in, you know. It's, uh, that's, that's how it is. And, um, yeah, I mean... And to include more people in this sport, it starts at childhood. I don't know how exactly why I was interested in cars as a child, but that was my first interest in anything. It wasn't like anybody gave me a toy car and go, here you go, be interested. It was like I went over my friend's house when I was five, I think, at the time. kid called Jack, and he had a load of Matchbox cars. And I was like, I love these Matchbox cars. And my mum, his mum allowed me to take home some of these Matchbox cars. And that was how my interest in cars started. I mean, if you have a father who's interested in motorsport or, you know, mother, that's how it gets, you know, started. You mentioned costs there. Do you think that's um, sort of the key factor or the key barrier to underrepresented groups sort of getting into motorsport? Or is there other factors in play that might affect their exposure to the sport or their eventual entry into the sport? Yeah, it is a barrier. It's one of, it is a barrier, costs, and that applies for every every race is just expensive to do um, even at a, a low level the lowest level which is karting yeah it, it's just expensive this family is spending 200,000 at least 200,000 pounds a year on, the, on an eight-year-old to go go-karting across Europe in a moment for anybody that's expensive and like this this is where I think gaming can open cast like a really wide net for sure to people that have, a, have an interest in looks or have an interest in cars for them to enter various in various competitions in the future i think that's uh, that's possible but yeah it is a barrier cost is is a barrier and you just mentioned there the history of motorsport and why you think that it, it is a sport that lacks diversity because of where it's come from and how it grew over the years but because of that that means that you know we do have limited faces who 
look different, shall we say, within motorsport. And that in itself can be a barrier because if you can't look into a sport and see people that represent you, then you may not feel like you're fitting in the sport and you may not pursue it. How do you think we tackle that? Obviously, you can't just drop people from underrepresented groups into sport. You know, it takes years and years for people to to build their craft. But what other ways do you think we can inspire the younger generations other than their own parents? What other things could be done by the motorsport community? I think at the moment, what even Lewis is doing, the fact that he is the second most successful racing driver ever mm-hmm. behind Michael Schumacher. So he's doing wonders for our sport, not only for people of the UK, but also for people of, of a different background. He is a household name. And regards to other ways, that's that's tough. That's <laughs> a tough question to ask. You know, I think if I was a kid of you know, younger and I had still my interest in cars as a I don't know a nine year old, and I watched Formula One, I would think that I would be supporting Lewis because because of that. Um, I would have an interest in the sport. Regards to other ways, that, that's tough. You know, even in motorsports, there's not. How would you include not only the racing drivers, but personnel? For example, like if I wanted to increase more people of, uh, of a different race in motorsports, you know, it has to start with parents, but also schools. Mm-hmm. People go into schools, giving assembly presentations, and you know, not only you can become a racing driver and you can be wherever color you want to be, but also they use opportunities you could do as well. You could become a you know, a, a mechanic, you could become an engineer in, in motorsport. That's a really important point there, that it's not just about the drivers, it's about bringing people from underrepresented yeah. groups into all aspects of motorsport, because there's a place for everyone. And, you know, not everyone does want to be a driver, but that doesn't mean there's there's not a spot for them within motorsport. You've mentioned things like going into schools, and obviously we have F1 in schools and programs like that. Do you think things like internships would also be a good way in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that mega as hugely influential mm-hmm. work experience as a, as a yeah as a, as a kid that would be mega. Yeah, I guess it it starts with the exposure because if as a kid your parents aren't into it, it's going to take an outside influence mm-hmm. to get you into the sport unless you obviously just have it on the TV one day and just really love it like naturally. But yeah, it, it definitely does start from, from a young age and having that exposure to it in some way, whether that is, is through like an internship, a, a scholarship or mentorships, etc. because you need someone to show you the, the range of roles and the range of options that are available. Because as Ariana said earlier, it's, it's not just obviously driving roles. Obviously, that's what you do. So that's what your experience is of. But uh, even when you look at various paddocks across the world, even the personnel, like the workforce, isn't representative of, of society as a whole. There, there aren't many people from, from underrepresented groups represented, whether that is black and minority ethnic groups or disabled people, LGBTQ plus communities. Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, I, I do. But at the same time, you know, it has to be properly done. Like, in, it's a sport for one. So, you know, anybody working in, in the race team, um, I, I treat you all, everybody the same. Yeah. So I want the best people possible on, on the team. So the best people have to be in those in those roles. So yeah, I I couldn't care less where you where you're from or what colour you are. If you're you know gay, straight, don't don't care. As long as you're amazing at your job, that's all I I'm for. 
I think, I don't know, as a kid, as a kid, if I was, you know, if I was in school and I had like an assembly and there was like a, not even a racing driver, but some engineers for Formula One team and uh, they happened to be of, of colour and, um, you know, they're working from a Formula One car, they're working on so-and-so's car. I, I guess I would be kind of interested in that and, and think, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, he's same colour as me. I can, I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you also think it's important for people like yourself, and we're seeing Lewis Hamilton do it at the moment, to be vocal about topics like this? Or do you think that, you know, that's not really the most important thing? It needs to be a wider change, like we've just said, with internships, things like going into schools, etc. Or do you think that part of it is helped by people that have made it also being vocal on topics like this? Yeah, this is a difficult, tricky question, because... If Lewis didn't do what he's done, like he's gone completely the other way for me. Like he's doing when I last checked on what he was doing, he's doing like a, um, I think it was like a mentorship, but only of people of, of color. And I'm not for that. I don't, let's see, I want the best people working in the sport. And if you're not including somebody that could be, that's better than this guy who happens to be the right color, I'm not for that at all. I don't, I'm, I don't like that. And regardless of how, you know, the best intentions to create more diversity if you're if there's another person that's being discriminated because of their of a different color then that's we're not we're not heading in the right direction you know it's it's a sport and for me this is why i feel that i should say something because there is a middle ground it's not one or it's not black or white there is a middle middle ground and i have you know, fans that follow me of various backgrounds and most sometimes I do get messages and from fans that are of the same color as me and uh you know they feel you know inspired that I'm just a racing driver but also a lot of the time these guys are girls are you know gamers and um they're like oh you know it's possible to to make it but I don't I'm not vocal about this subject because when I won GT Academy, there was a part of me that thought I'd won the competition purely because I was the black guy and it seemed right that a, or if it was marginal and there was a French guy and then there was me and they were like, okay, even though I won the race, I actually legitimately won. There was a part of me that was like, "Um, did I win because I was the black guy and it was seen as the the best PR that they could spin out of this situation. And I, this is, it took me four to five years to completely get this out of my head. And uh, so when I won this competition, the amount of work that I put in was, was, was massive. I, I lived and breathed motorsport. It was like all I, all my folk, everything else was, didn't care. Didn't care, it was just, I need to be the best I can because I wanted to prove to these people that weren't even thinking this, that if they'd won, they wouldn't they wouldn't be at the level that I, where I was at that moment in time because they would have put in the miles. I, I can't say now if that was the right or wrong thing to do in terms of my how my progression went. Whether if I didn't think about if I didn't have this mindset where I'll be here now, I don't know. But I don't think it's a healthy thing to do to be to reach this reach a level and think uh, I'm only here because I'm the a black person so where am I going with this so I people coming into the sport I wouldn't want them to be 
the reason they're in the sport is because they're black or the reason they've got this opportunity is because they're of a different color mm-hmm. to look good on a on a you know a, a company's i don't know they have on a diversity sheet you know they should be there on, on merit merit alone yeah, so i wouldn't want yeah. that thinking in the first place to be even in their part of their brain anyway yeah it's it's a, tricky one yeah I think that's I think that's really important and I mean you touched on the commission that Lewis has set up and of course I think everyone would agree that we want people in the sport based on merit we don't want to be giving people opportunities to tick boxes like you've said and I would hope that the commission and as far as I know that's not the aim of the commission it is more just to open the door a little bit because sometimes you do need that that little bit more help if you are from an underrepresented group for reasons like we've touched on already like you know you might not feel like you can get there because you don't have the role models or you need that extra push of motivation and support and then like you said it's important that once people do then get into the door they don't doubt themselves and feel like they're there as the token and there to fill the diversity quota Uh, and I guess that's why it's really important to make sure that these opportunities are still feeding through the very best and I think that that's one of the most important things about diversity is that ultimately everyone should be able to benefit from it it shouldn't be something that you know oh well we've got some people from underrepresented groups in now and that's great that's that bit sorted it's something that you want to be able to bring the best in regardless of where they're from but people do need to realize that sometimes the best do come from underrepresented groups, but there might be extra hurdles that they're struggling to get over because of how a certain industry is set up. And I guess like like we've said, that's one of the big challenges, identifying those hurdles and working out the most effective way to overcome them. Yeah, and, and this is not a fast thing either. Mm-hmm. Like you go, like just thinking about it, you can go one of two ways you either you know it's going to be a slow process to you know find the best people and get more minorities into the sport or it could go the other way where it's like okay if you're of if you're not white and you want to include everybody you know everybody comes in and then there's people in the jobs that shouldn't be there because they're not good enough but maybe that sparks an interest in somebody else who happens to be of the same same race or something as a as a kid and they get inspired because they're actually in that role and they want to achieve they actually want to be there i, I don't know it, it can go kind of go one of two ways really um but certainly the first way of finding the right people for the sports and improving the diversity it's it's going to be a slow it will be a slow grind i just hope they keep up the message as well with the whole the last few races in formula one you know the end racism racism message you know i kind of hope that keeps going because there are people that kind of seem over it and certainly the 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 movement of what's going on all over the world it's kind of died down a little bit now but i just hope that message keeps on because it is something which will i hope you know if this message keeps said you know end racism end racism maybe in the future you know in school these these kids and something is said maybe like another kid would say to that kid, okay, you can't say that, you can't do that. That's not, that's not right. And you know, that's how it, that's how it changes really. So I, I hope they keep, they keep that message, you know, strong, keep, you know, promoting it. And um, I think that's a good, a good cause. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to make a stand for something as significant and important as that message, because otherwise without saying anything, it's sort of just, 
not not that there is a racism um, issue within motorsport, but just like in society generally, it, it definitely does need to be stamped out. So I think it's it's good that motorsport are using, or F1 in particular, um, in this instance, uh, is using their platform, their international platform to spread that message. We've talked a lot, obviously, about diversity, but why is diversity important to you? And what would you like to see in future in motorsport as a whole in relation to diversity and in an inclusive workforce paddock, grid, etc.? Well, I think there's uh, there's people out there that aren't that should be in motorsport, but they're not there. But maybe if they're of a different race or different background, but would actually actually would be very beneficial to to motorsport. So. I'm sure there are people out there that could benefit my sport and they might not be a man or white. They could be a woman from, from India. She might be the, the best engineer race strategist out there, but she don't, she don't know it yet. And F1 and most sport doesn't know it yet. So I just want the best people in the sport and I'm sure there are better people potentially out there. And, you know, I'm not, when I walk down the paddock, I don't, personally, I don't think, you know, I feel out of, out of place. I can't speak for other drivers. I'm, I'm all performance. I, that's all I care about is performance. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. care. If, like in, I live in Japan, in Tokyo. Everybody's Japanese. I'm, I live in a Japanese team. Like nobody speaks very good English. I'm used to being the, the old one. I just want to go fast and, and win. But... There is a guy actually from the UK who works for another team and I always look out for him every time I'm walking down the paddock in pit lane and uh, he's in the garage and, you know, we both say hi to each other. I guess that would be, would be cool. And certainly if there was another person of similar background to me, that would be cool as well. Yeah, I think it's about casting a wider net so you can find those people from different backgrounds who are talented you know as we've said it's not about just picking someone from a random underrepresented group and dropping them in motorsport they have to be there on merit still but it's I think it's about casting that wider net so we can have a more inclusive and diverse motorsport world um, because of all of the benefits and positives that come from diversity so having that diversity of thought and opinion like helps to see different scenarios circumstances problems differently so that they can be approached and maybe solved quickly or in a better way um, because you've got different people with different life experiences whatever that whatever groups they come from just because obviously in in motorsport you're always chasing down those tenths of a second so innovation is important and and any way to achieve that you know motorsport is going to want to to have and and grab and i think definitely having sort of like a more diverse and inclusive workforce is is one way to to maybe try and achieve that yeah you know when i look at the broader picture of who i work for i work for well nissan nismo which is nissan motorsport and i the nissan's headquarters is in a place called yokohama and uh that's the only office i know of that has people from Europe in the office. So the car, a lot of the car design of Nissan products is split Japan and in Nissan Europe, I think in Paris and also in the, in the UK, there's a uh, design office and all the time there's people coming over, you know, for their ideas and it's right. You know, people from different areas of the world, different backgrounds come together and they produce a car that 
appeals to different markets because different markets have different expectations and needs and you need yeah. that that uh, that link people living in Absolutely. areas so yeah diversity you know it does work I think that's also a really good point um, that you mentioned there that it having a diverse workforce can help make a car or help make a series appeal to a, a wider audience or a wider market because it's not just about having um, you know getting people into working in the sport having a more diverse sport can then cast a wider net in terms of bringing more fans from wider audiences in. So it's not only beneficial internally and, you know, in creating the best car, solving problems differently and faster, more innovation. It's also about growing the audience who watch the sport, who essentially without them, there is no sport. Um, So I think that's also a really good point. Um, I'll swim the question to you because you guys, you know, you're not, in motorsports but maybe you have some more ideas how would you improve the situation in in motorsport with diversity for me personally i think things like as we've already mentioned internships mentorships scholarships things like that that help um with the exposure to to such a world at a young age are really important just because growing up myself where i've benefited from initiatives or programs set up to sort of help people from diverse backgrounds so like sort of diversity and inclusion programs not related to motorsport but I've benefited from those before and I really see the value in them they've allowed me to sort of have experiences that I might not have had and whether or not I've gone down that path is irrelevant because I've gained skills and gained knowledge and just life experience generally from what those programs have enabled me to do. So yeah, I definitely think that that's, that's something key to consider. How about you, Ariana? Yeah, I would echo what you've said, Steph. I think that things like diversity and inclusion initiatives, internships, things like that are obviously crucial because like I said before, there are some hurdles that are extra hurdles that you experience if you're from an underrepresented group that other people may not recognize. And sometimes you do just need a slight helping hand. But also I think that it's just really important to actually talk about the topic. I think that's one of the most important things that's no good sort of pretending it doesn't exist. You don't necessarily have to experience it personally to acknowledge that it exists. I think that's something that's really, really important in wider society as a whole, just because you might not, you know, be female or you might not be part of the LGBTQ plus community or you might not be an ethnic minority. That doesn't mean that issues don't exist and you need to talk about those issues so that they can be addressed. And if you don't speak about it, then it just sends the message to the younger generations that it's not important. It's not topics that people within motorsport or other industries think needs to be talked about. And that's not right. So I think it's a conversation that needs to keep happening, hopefully through things like this and hearing from a range of people within motorsport that can happen. And then there's more of a drive to set up initiatives, set up internships, set up mentorships and everything like that, that people then can then feed into. So yeah, that's what I'd like to see. (laughs) I, I have an idea. If I was, if I were working, and which is what I'd want to do, if I become somehow had enough money to be able to do it, where it's my dream, I'd have my own race team. And uh, if I wanted to improve the diversity um, in motorsport and just improve the sport in general by keeping it alive, I would allocate a part of my budget as a racing team for these scholarships or these out day outings for schools mm-hmm. that we'd come down to school and we'd take literally everybody in this particular class 
a random class, bring them to mm -hmm. a workshop or a race, and yeah, and do scholarships, work experience. Sort of like outreach programs. Yes, but it would, it would be like random it, mm. in areas that aren't particularly wealthy, for example. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because you can, you can look, say, for example, if we take the UK, you could look at sort of deprived areas, but also within those areas, look at the high performing schools. And so there you've, you know, you can be confident that there will be pe talented people there who are super smart, but they don't necessarily have the, the background that will enable them to get into motorsport. For example, yeah, I, I wouldn't even pick high performance schools. It would just be like random schools I would pick because, for example, I went to school, a school where I lived, which was one of the best catch best schools right where I lived. But really, I shouldn't have gone to that school because my parents lied. <laughs> it had, they said I had a childminder in this particular area of the school, this good school. But the schools where I, the two school, three schools where I uh, actually lived were shit. They were terrible. Um, and actually, one of them is no longer there because it got burned down by a student who was that bad. Um, oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, I, this is why I wouldn't choose just a high-performing school, you know, because there are still really talented people, potentially talented people that they don't know yet in these schools that just don't have the opportunity because they happen to go to a shitty school. Mm. So, yeah, I, and I think it isn't a, a top-down thing, so it shouldn't be just be... If F1 did this, it sh that wouldn't be right. It's not a top-down thing. It has to come from the bottom. If, you know, if your sport wants to survive, if you, want, if you want the best people and if you want a diverse people, I'm sure there are, yeah, if you want a diverse people that are very skilled, teams, uh, race teams, manufacturers have to, I think they have to do their part. And I don't think there are things like that, actual race teams where they say, okay, we're going to go to a school, we're going to take everybody and we're going to take them to the workshop, take them to the racetrack, just get them interested in, if they show any interest in, in, in cars, that could spark uh, spark that, you know, interest for a, for a young eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, and you might not be a white kid, it might be some random you know anybody yeah i agree i think that that sort of initiative and outreach program is so needed um it's something that i've always been very passionate about myself not just for motorsports but just in society in general i think there needs to be way 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 more outreach programs in underprivileged areas regardless of you know high performing low performing we need to give people opportunities there's so many people that have so much potential in these communities but just never have the opportunity to show it and like you said, we have a responsibility, to be honest. We have a responsibility as people who have more opportunities and might have had more doors opened in our life to help people have them doors open themselves. You know, if you've managed to build yourself up the ladder, you have a responsibility to also help other people get up, I think, personally. And teams should be feeling like that as well. Different categories should be feeling like that. And that idea that you've just put forward of going into schools, taking a class and, you know, giving them like a day out almost, that's something that would be really memorable as well for children. And that's how you, that's how you spark the interest. Yeah, absolutely. And it starts with, it either starts, you know, in school or it starts with parents. That's it really, you know, you get a bit older and you can get influenced by other things, but really personally anything that I'm interested in is probably started when I was a young person, really, really young yeah, that's all I'd do it anyway, but let's hope that that actually happens. Yeah. Because I think 
you know, the message that Formula One do with end racism and you know, diversity, I hope they keep doing it, but they, if more people need to be doing it, you know, if they really want to be changed, more people need to be doing it in other categories for that to for that to happen. It can't be just a blanket statement you put out as a PR team and go, oh, yeah, we, we were against racism. Mm, yeah, agree. Definitely. Like, I think it's a bit, I mean, fair enough putting out a statement, but you've got to follow it up with actions in order to, to sort of show your support and show that you are committed and dedicated to it. Because otherwise it's, it's just another PR tick box as, as we've seen with other, with other brands and companies. But um, thank you for what you've discussed there. As a final point then, just to finish things up, given your entry to racing was fairly unorthodox, shall we say, in terms of the, the gaming side of things, what advice would you give to aspiring young drivers from underrepresented backgrounds? If there's anything you want to do in life, regardless if it's in motorsport or any other sports or category or job, and you want to do that, and that's your your goal, that's the only thing that interests you, do not let anybody tell you any different to stop pursuing that dream. If it's your dream, then you go ahead and do it. Because if you don't go ahead and do it and you end up settling for something else, yeah, you, you're not living... You know, I'm very fortunate to do what I'm doing, but at the same, I'm lucky. Timing is, is very important. But there were times in my life before this competition where it wasn't going good. I wasn't doing something which I enjoyed. I hated what I was going to do for uh, eventually after university. And I decided just to drop out because it, it didn't interest me. Um, and fortunately, then another opportunity which, you know, helped, sparked my direction, changed to something which was always my, my love I always kept my eye, I was always kind of open that it could happen. Maybe, I don't know how, but maybe it could happen. So I would urge anybody, you know, if you have a dream to do something random, not random, but if it's your goal and people talk you down and wherever, just ignore them slightly. If you want to do that, you go ahead and pursue it. Don't let anybody else get in your way. Just blink it and uh, just go for it because there are many people out there doing stuff which they hate and they constantly talk about it, that they hate what they're doing, but they never change. Yeah, don't be one of those people because it's all crushing. What a cool story and a unique entry into motorsport for Jan there. Also an incredible achievement to have gained so much experience across so many categories in his short career so far, considering he only actually started racing professionally aged 19. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that he came in through gaming really just shows how there can be other routes into motorsport. And even though accessibility is such a big issue for the average person, there are other ways into motorsport and people should really have a look at that. And even teams should maybe start investing more into that side of things. Yeah, and I think we're really seeing that with the explosion of esports in in the motorsport scene. So that's really improving the accessibility to motorsport because for the average person, accessibility to uh, a PC, a laptop, a mobile phone, or even a gaming console is a lot easier than than obviously the outlay and the cost of a racing career would have. So we're definitely heading in a in a good direction there. I definitely agree, Steph, and. He also touched on how he actually got into motorsport in terms of the interest side of things. And his interest, like many, started when he was a child uh, with little influence from his closest family members. That reinforces the idea of how important it is to have programs and initiatives that can spark the interest across all groups and ages to bring more fans into the sport and hopefully to also 
show children that there's a career worth pursuing. Yeah, and I think it's about putting context behind the subjects that kids might study at school, for example, where Jan said that if he had the money to do so, he would love to set up a race team where they would put aside a budget to introduce motorsport to school children, take them on days out, like an outreach program, and show them the context behind what they learn at school and how this can be applied in the industry. And I think that would be a really valuable thing to do. Yeah, I completely agree there. And the Hamilton Commission that we touched on, hopefully will be exploring those sorts of initiatives and different ways to bring motorsport to those who may not otherwise have had exposure. So I'm really excited to find out some more information on it and see the different things they have planned. If you want to check out Jan on socials, we'll pop his handle for Twitter and Instagram in the description box for this episode. Don't forget to also follow us on Instagram at wearedrivenbydiversity. Really appreciate Jan giving his time to speak to us. And thank you guys for listening again. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review as well. We'll speak to you next time. 